Welcome to episode 30 of the Romantic About Baseball podcast. My name is Adam McKinnon, your host, joined as always by my co-host, Jim Passon Jr. Jim. Hey, good afternoon, Adam. How are you doing? I'm doing well and uh, joined this week uh, by Emily Walden, uh, a writer for uh, Baseball America, for The Athletic, covering the Detroit Tigers and the minor league system. Uh, Emily, thank you so much for joining us. Absolutely. It's my pleasure, guys. Awesome. And uh, so I want to dive right in and just ask you the first question that we ask all our guests. uh, What is your baseball origin story? Yeah, I was first introduced to baseball by my dad. Um, He grew up a big Cardinals fan back in the day. Um, He was raised in Arkansas. um, So they were the team that was closest, but he also um, enjoyed following the Yankees. He was... um, really introduced to the game like in the 50s and 60s was when he was young and of course had mickey mantle baseball cards that he stuck in the spokes of his bike wheel and (laughs) that always hurts my heart a little bit because i'm like dad why didn't you save those for me come on (laughs) so it's uh it was really through him Uh, my mom grew up in illinois um, before moving to Michigan and meeting my dad, and she was raised in a Cubs household. Oh, wow. So I, I thought it was ironic that a Cardinals fan and a Cubs fan ended up meeting in a completely different state and getting married, but, you know, that's the way life goes sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> rivalries uh, rivalries be damned, right? Absolutely. So where, like did you mix. did you come up, like, playing baseball at all, softball, anything like that? Uh, yeah, I played a little bit of softball when I was young. Um, I was actually homeschooled. Um, Not many people know that. And so we didn't have the same access to um, organized school sports, but there were some summer leagues that I got to be able to participate in. um, And my brothers were able to play baseball as well. So we found a lot of different activities to stay busy and definitely always had that game really at the forefront of everything we did during the summers. Gotcha. And so what team, so, you know, you your mom is a, is a Cubs fan. Dad's a Cardinals fan. Which did you adopt either of those teams? Did you pick a side or did you try to go for a neutral party? You know, growing up in Michigan, we sort of fell into being default Tigers fans. Okay. um, Because of course that was, that was our team, but I've always honestly had a soft spot for the Cubs. Um, And that was, really tied into the fact that at a young age, I would talk to my grandpa about the Cubs and he would always point his finger at me and say, now mark my words, they're going to get back to the World Series. And I was like, (laughs) Grandpa, it's the Cubs. I don't think that's ever going to (laughs) happen. And he he would always tell me, he said, he goes, they're going to get back there. He goes, "You, you just wait and see. So when they made that run, I, much like everybody else around the country, 
got choked up when they got that title because I had that connection to my grandpa. And I was really surprised at how many people had grandparents that were Cubs fans. It was almost like the Cubs were the team for that generation for whatever reason that might be. But a lot of my friends said, oh, yeah, my grandpa was a big Cubs fan or my grandma was a big Cubs fan. So having that connection, I thought, made it really, really special. But other than that, I was a Yankees fan for a hot minute. Um, that was <laughs> that was mainly thanks to Derek Jeter and having the, that Kalamazoo connection and how Michigan sort of claimed, that, claimed him as their own. Um, so followed the Yankees for a bit. But, yeah, it's always been the Tigers, which has been a somewhat painful experience. <laughs> but, hey, that's that's fandom. So what are you going to do? Right, right. Yeah, the Tigers are definitely exactly the model of that, right? The ups and downs that you had to go through with that. Oh, yeah. I don't envy you. Yeah. Did did you uh, you know I feel and I you know I feel like anyone not in the general Atlanta metro area was a Yankees fan in the 90s it was kind of hard not to be. Um and uh so I guess um you know how did you come into the whole sports writing thing like how what at what point did the passion for the game or the enjoyment of the game turn itself into a career for you? Yeah, that was sort of a kind of an interesting thing because I didn't have a writing background. Um, I always enjoyed writing. Um, I did a lot of creative writing and journaling and um, just different outlets along that that road. But the idea of actually pursuing a career in it, it was always a little bit sort of out of reach from the way that I saw it, just because Mm -hmm. in my mind, you had to check off a certain amount of boxes. You had to have you know, the college degree, you had to have the internships, you had to have, you know, those steps that had to be fulfilled. And so I sort of struggled to see myself as being qualified in Mm -hmm. in regards to being able to pursue that path. But I thought, you know what, I wonder, I wonder what would happen if I tried. And I think the fact that I took that step of putting myself out there, taking a risk, seeing what would happen, I think that was really the best choice I could have made. Because, you it's cliche but you don't know if you don't try you know you could have it blow up in your face and go okay maybe this wasn't the best choice or a door could open and then another door could open and that that was really the i guess kind of the nutshell of how that worked and how how it sort of fell into place but it definitely came down to me making that choice to take a chance and just see what that outcome would look like do you remember the first door that opened for you the first door that opened um, was probably the funniest because I wanted to see what my type of an article would look like. I had no experience with that. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to piece this together and I'm going to talk to a friend of mine who was actually a sports editor for a local small town newspaper. And I wasn't going to him for a job. I was just more hey, can you tell me if I suck or can you tell me <laughs> if this is actually a thing? And so I wrote up, and I remember to this day what the article was, the Tigers had signed Justin Verlander's younger brother, Ben, and he was playing (laughs) in in Class A, which was in the town that I currently live, Grand Rapids. He was in town, and I thought, you know what, that's kind of a cool connection for Tigers fans to be able to see the brother of, you know, their, their pitcher at the time. And so I put that together, emailed it over to him, said, hey, take a look at this, tell me what you think. Sent the email, kind of forgot about it. 
heard nothing back. <laughs> and I thought, okay, I suck, and he's too nice to tell me that. <laughs> right. I'll just ignore this. Yeah, exactly. Exactly, exactly. And so I didn't hear anything back from him for probably about two and a half weeks. And later it found it was revealed to me he just got caught up with other things and forgot to respond to the email. Long story short, he offered me a weekly freelance spot on the front page of the sports section. Wow. <laughs> and I kind of went, wait, what? Oh, really? Are you sure? And he goes, you've got something here. He said, we, we want to see what it'll do for us. And he said, I'd love to give you a platform. And from there, it was just a snowball effect of, you know, taking a lot of chances, trying to talk to the right people. And I had a lot of good people come into my corner. Can, can I ask what you were doing at the time profession-wise when you submitted that, when you sent that email off? Yeah, I was working as an office manager. Wow. Okay. So like complete, you know, normal day job and then just bam, sports writer. <laughs> yeah. So definitely, I always tell people, I said, it's very unorthodox. It's, it's not something that I would recommend. I feel like there are much <laughs> more structured paths for that. But for me, I think it was just the fact that I wanted to see if I could do it. Baseball obviously has always been a passion. Storytelling has always been a passion. I've always loved getting to know people on a deeper level, um, looking at kind of where they come from. And with baseball, it's been more of Let's talk about who these guys are off the field. You see them in uniforms, you see them play, but who is the player behind the uniform? Who is the player when the game is over? And so that's kind of been the the aspect of things that I've been drawn to along with the evaluation and the, the scouting profiles that I've done along the way. Um, it's been a really, really amazing outlet for me to be a part of. So as, go ahead, Jim, I'm sorry. No, I'm just, yeah, I love it. I love the story. So I'm kind of lost in it. I'm just listening. The um, <laughs> One of the things that, you know, you're the second person now that, I, that I've had come on the show that had no prior formal training, if you will, right, before you get into the profession. And I want to ask you a question where in, in the early going, obviously, when you're kind of like learning on the fly, you're sort of feeling things out and you're going to make some some mistakes. You're going to you're going to hit your head against the wall, so to speak. Right. In the early going. What was the biggest, most valuable lesson you learned in the early going as somebody just sort of walking into the to the profession? The most important lesson that I think I was able to learn is that no matter people's reactions to seeing you at the field or in the clubhouse or wherever it is that you are, you have every right to be there. Mm -hmm. I think I had to get myself to a place where I truly believed that because when I started, my first full season in the minors was 2015. And that, it, it was kind of still a little bit odd to have a woman give so much focus to the minors and mm -hmm. um, you you had you know you have more um, female writers at the major league level they're starting to become much more common which i am so excited about to see how much that's grown at that platform um, but when i was doing it it was kind of like what's she doing here like why is she here what's what's the reason for this and i sort of had to embrace that belief that I'm here to do a job as much as the players or mm. the scouts or the coaches. 
they're doing their job. I'm doing my job. And so I had to gather the confidence behind embracing that and believing that because until I did, I was always second guessing myself and saying, oh, maybe they're right. Maybe I don't belong here. Maybe this isn't the best idea. But once I got to that place where I can embrace that belief and fully stand on it, that was when things really started to take off. Now, did you have that feeling inside of you prior to the first time that you tried to get in? Or was that something that you picked up once you were in? Like, wait a minute, now I see what I'm what, what I'm working with, right? Who's around me? Is that when you started realizing, hey, wait, there's not very many ladies in in this level? Like I see, say, on Twitter, say, like a Susan Slusser or uh, Jamie Adler. out there in St. Louis. Um, did, I mean, we 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 don't see too much in. I mean, the minors, right? I mean, most of us follow the major league beats. Uh, not too many people are following the minor league beats. So when you got in and you were at the minor leagues, is that when you started seeing that maybe the the disparity between men and women was greater than you probably thought? Yeah, I would say that it it, it felt a little bit more uncommon um, to having women at the lower levels. And um, that that seemed to still be a little bit of a an untapped industry, I think, just because there wasn't as much focus there. Mm-hmm. There really wasn't as much attention to the minors. And when you get down to, you know, going to a backfields complex, I mean, there were times where it was me, maybe one or two players, moms who were setting off in the corner under an umbrella to prevent <laughs> from getting sunburned and then one hundred and seventy five men. And right. that, that kind of became the norm. And I remember being at a backfield complex in Florida. This is my, I think, my second year when I really started to travel. And I thought, what did I get myself into? Right. This is this is different. Um, but it, it, it was really all a part of, again, going back to that belief that why am I here? I have a job to do. Right. What is that job that I have to do? How am I going to become the best at it that I can be? And once I could lock into that, it really helped get rid of a lot of the the intimidation. I wasn't bothered by the looks I was getting anymore. I wasn't bothered by the comments. And those comments still come and go, but it's gotten so much better to where people have realized, okay, she's serious about this. And she's not just here for, you know, a minute or two. She's actually invested in this industry. And I think that's really helped push me along. I mean, we hear that so many times about that. Just the way you said it, like she's serious about this. This is just, it's just something that I, I don't believe from anybody that we've talked to on the other side. They they have to think that way, right? Guys just don't have to, you know. Yeah, maybe they have to feel like they belong at that level, like anything, right? I I got a job. I want to prove that I belong here. Everybody, I think, gets that. But guys don't ever have to feel. I mean, I don't think that. Hey, you know, somebody thinks that I shouldn't be here for a reason that's totally, completely separate of the business that I'm here to handle. And the mental part for you to be able to overcome that and to be able to shake everything off is just, I mean, to me, it's amazing because we see the abuse on on social media all the time, right? Um, Especially for the ladies, right? It's it's, it's ridiculous. It's it's just over the top. So... um, well, it's not just that. that too. It's the insinuation, like you know, it's not even the like you said the abuse, but it's also the insinuations, like you know, yeah. oh, how are you getting these stories? You know, it's it's really inappropriate. Was there somebody that you talked to on your end, Emily, that helped you through that process or anything like that that might have already come overcome that, or were you 
just kind of felt like you're out there on an island on yourself just trying to dig through it yeah it was it was really a number of people who i would go to and just explain the situation of you know maybe something i had experienced or you know a comment that was made and it was a you know a group of people that i could just sit here and we could talk for two more hours about how <laughs> amazing they are and how how okay. so many of them came up next to me when i was this you know terrified brand new person who had no experience and they said you've got something and we want to we want to help you we want to help cultivate that and it's that is really what carried me through i mean there are so many people that i could credit um one in particular who really was kind of there from day one um is lynn henning who is he's a, a writer for the detroit news um, he's been in the business for forever, I think like 40 years or something like wow. that. And he's been covering the Tigers and doing all kinds of things like that. And he was somebody who he would call and check up on me constantly and say, how are you? How are how are people treating you? How are, um, you know, how are the interactions? Are mm-hmm. they being respectful? Is there anything I can do? And so he would sort of help me mentally process those things and say, you're fine. You're normal. You just got to show people that you're going to put in the work. He goes, forget what they think. If you're going to put in the work, you deserve to be here. And one of my one of my favorite memories um, was during a post-game interview that we did with Larry Parrish, who was managing the AAA Toledo Mudhens at the time. I think this would have been 2015 or 2016. And he didn't know me. I just showed up in in the manager's office with a number of other writers and we sat down for him to do his post-game talk. And one of the other writers was kind of rambling question after question. And I was sitting there going, I don't want to be rude. I don't want to cut somebody out because I just wasn't used to that, that environment. And Larry ended up cutting him off and he turned and looked at me and said, where'd you come from? (laughs) <laughs> and I kind of went, am I in trouble? What's going on right now? <laughs> and I, I, you know, told him, I said, you know, I'm from Grand Rapids and I cover, you know, the Tigers farm system. And he goes, how long have you been doing this for? And I was like, oh, it's, you know, first or second year. And he starts asking me questions. Did you play sports? And I said, yes. <laughs> I was like, I don't know where this is going. And um, he's asking me, like, what position did you play? You know, oh, you're a first baseman. Do you have a good glove? I said, I like to think so. He goes, good girl. It's the right answer. And he just totally broke the ice, totally made me feel at home, looked at me indirectly to give me time to ask him questions. And that that really set a precedent for me because it, to him, didn't matter that I was a girl. It it mattered to him that I was somebody who was there to do a job, and he wanted to make sure he gave me the respect to allow me to ask him questions and be able to get that job done. And he was just incredible from that day on. He always came over. He'd say, hey, my player's treating you okay. I need to rough anybody up. Right. (laughs) No, sir. No, sir. They're good. And it, it was those kinds of people. Alan Trammell was another one who was always just been an absolute, absolute professional and someone who's been so kind to me, Al Kaline. I mean, yeah, it's the list cool. goes on and on and on. Just the people who took the time to invest in my life. And I've tried to take that same opportunity for other people trying to break into the business because I understand how, how hard it can be. Right. Yeah. Did you... Yeah, uh, 
Go ahead, Jim. Feeling, yeah, feeling welcomed has got to make it a lot easier to do your job. That's for sure. Did, now, one of the things you, you talked earlier about putting the work in, and and this is something that it made kind of perked my interest is that um, you put work into kind of uh, into the scouting and player development end, which is not always something you see from like a writer or journalist. Can you can you elaborate a little bit on? You know what, what and where, what you learned, where you learned it, and how you try to apply that to your to your current work. Yeah, that was actually probably the most intimidating portion of my my learning experience because a lot of the current scouts who have been around the game for you know 15, 20 years, some of them, they're not all very welcoming to people. <laughs> so it's a specific type <laughs> it's, of club. <laughs> yes, yes. And it's, you know, you hear the phrase, the uh, the old boys club. Some of some of them who have been around for, for a long time, they're just not open to seeing, you know, these young upstarts who think that they can come in and, you know, do the things that I've been doing and I've had to, you know, bleed my way through this business. And for <laughs> for scouts, it's it's a rite of passage. It's you've put in the time, you've put in the the energy with the game, you've paid your dues, so you deserve to be there. And I think for some of the old school mentalities, it's been a little frustrating for them to see how some of these young internet writers have sort of broken into the business and they're going, well, how did they get here? What's, what's their story? Do they deserve to be here? And it's just kind of a clashing of two mindsets, but the amount of scouts who have supported my career and have backed everything that I've done, I could go on and on about them. I've, I've had one in particular, he's, he's a scout with, I'm an American league club he checks in on me constantly. He mm-hmm. says, how are you doing? How are things? What's going on? What's the latest thing you've been reading? And just helps me stay in a good, um, healthy mental place, which really helps, especially right now with how crazy everything is and how right. we're all sort of sitting on our hands. And yep. um, he's been one who's invested. And the majority of scouts that I've met along the way have been incredible. Um, some of them have become some of my closest friends. But when it comes down to getting that courage, sitting in the scout session, it took me a long time before I felt comfortable there. It was another one of those things where I said, you know what, I have a right to be here. You have to get to that place where you can mentally embrace that and believe that because at the end of the day, that's the only thing that's going to keep you there. And you can't let that chase you away if you have that fear that you're dealing with. Yep. Everybody else in that group is already feeling that way, right? So, yeah, you have to be part of it. That's crazy. Did, so, so you're Michigan raised. You went up through the minor league system in Michigan and all the way up to the major league covering it now. That's that's I love it. It's beautiful that that you're home still and being able to do this. This is great. Yeah, it's it's really an incredible, incredible thing to do. And being a part of the minors has such a fun little behind the scenes look to it because you see so many of these young guys who start from the very beginning and you get to watch them work all the way through up to making their major league debuts. And there were a few particularly um, that I got a chance to really get to know. Well, Gavin Lux from the Dodgers, he's one who um, broke in last year and just had an incredible career. Um, 
working his way up until that point. I got to see him when he was in the Midwest League. And then all of a sudden, it's like he completely busted out in AAA. And people are like, where did this kid come from? And I said, well, (laughs) I've been talking about him. You guys just need to pay attention more. (laughs) Do you you find that? Like, you know, it's what I find most interesting is the the amount of t- time and attention that's gone to the minor leagues now you know this is do you think like when say i i call it like the age of tanking you know when teams started to put so much emphasis on their minor league systems and their farm systems do you f- see that what tangible differences do you see from pre tanking to post tanking yeah we we've gotten very used to the term tanking here in michigan yeah <laughs> in, in more sport than one unfortunately right <laughs> you know god bless the lions and the pistons we're, we're hoping they get back on track um it's it really has taken a turn because i remember when i started in 2015 i would get comments on twitter that they would be like why are you writing about this nobody cares and i thought well I, I care. Yeah, I care. <laughs> you know, I I want to I want to make something out of this, and I think the difference, like you said, has been with these clubs who are sort of restructuring and having to rebuild, and there's almost a new, younger wave of players coming through, like the the Gavin Luxes and the the Cole Tuckers, and you know some of the younger guys who really broke through. Pete Alonzo. I mean, we could talk about Pete Alonzo for an entire episode and how much he's just absolutely shaken up the Mets. It's, I think that has caused people to shift because they're looking at their major league club, which normally gets the the primary attention, and they're going, you know, they're not very good right now. Do we have anybody else that I can pay (laughs) attention to and that I can get excited about? And that's when you start to see the attendance in the AAA level and the AA level, sometimes even high ball. You're seeing people that want to see this next wave to be excited about. And that's the beauty of the minors. And I think if teams play their cards right, you can really drive a lot of focus to your minor league affiliates, depending on how you're structuring your scouting. That's right. Well, um, you know, we're going to talk a lot more about uh, about the minor leagues and about uh, the current state of the minor leagues. Um, after the break. So we're, we're going to take a quick break here. And then when we come back, we're going to get more into a lot of that. Well, we're with Emily Walden and we'll be right back. And we're back again. Uh, talking with us today is Emily Walden. And uh, we uh, talked a little bit about what brought you here uh, to the current state uh, and uh, your career uh, covering the minor leagues. But um, I want to pivot a little bit and talk about the minor leagues themselves and what you're doing uh, to kind of help. You know, you were quoted in an article in MLB Daily Dish recently. You've been described as, and I'm quoting here. This is quoting the angel of baseball, quote, Emily Walden, (laughs) because of your advocation for minor league players to receive a living wage from, you know, from their affiliated clubs. Can you kind of elaborate or explain on how you how you got your wings in this situation? Like what brought you what brought us to this point? 
Well, I guess I need to know who do I send a check to yeah. for saying something <laughs> so so kind. But no, no, I was I was not aware of that quote. Thank you for for sharing that with me. Um, it's it, it's really interesting how that kind of came about too because I'm not somebody who likes to rock the boat. Mm-hmm. I am very much a I'd rather sit in the corner of the room with my latte kind of watch everybody else doing their thing and arguing about what they want to argue about. I'm more of a people watcher and just, I guess you could say a lover, not a fighter, if you're breaking it down that way. But it was something about being so deep in the industry and seeing all of the stories and seeing all of these situations firsthand about how life goes for the players off the field. And even on the field and, and the, the game day things that go on and um, how things vary from level to level and affiliate to affiliate. And I think that's sort of what brought me a little bit more drive to want to shed more light on that and just kind of educate the fans on it and say, look, like these are the games that you're going to. This is the reality of these players' lives. This is what this looks like for them. And I think that really sort of creates a more well-rounded baseball fan when you have that full picture and you're able to see the full story because it's not just guys in uniforms anymore. It's mm-hmm. guys who are actually literally grinding to to get to their dream and they're having to do it on extremely limited funds in very, very tough living situations. And I think it really helps fans appreciate them that much more when they're aware of that side of it. Do you, um, so one of the things that I've noticed is uh, your advocation uh, to try to help players uh, get, you know, part-time jobs, to find ways to make their situation a little bit better if the league's not going to do it for them. Um, Can you kind of explain where your efforts, where do your efforts currently stand? Like where, where are we right now? And we're going to talk more about the, the, the sort of pending deal in a a little bit, but just from your universe right now, where does all of this stand? Yeah. So the, the project that I took on, this is right after spring training kind of came to a screeching halt. Um, my thought immediately went to, okay, um, these guys aren't going to be getting a paycheck. Mm-hmm. Um, this, this, this could be a problem because not a lot of people know that they don't receive their first paycheck until the season begins. So they actually have to get their assignment, get to their team. And then when the season starts, they'll get their first paycheck. So my thought with this was these guys don't have jobs. What are they supposed to do? And, sort of jumped in and accessed Twitter and said, look, if you guys have, you know, flexible employment for some of these players, can you contact me and I'll get you connected? The response was just mind blowing. Um, Mm -hmm. The way that everybody jumped in and wanted to offer help. They wanted to donate money to the players. So I sort of set up this kind of networking funneling project where I would connect players to employers. I would connect fans to the players who wanted to, to donate money directly. And we ended up, um, I want to say we raised just over $13,000 for players who are in need of of financial assistance. And the amount of jobs, I didn't hear the 
finished amount of the players who found jobs, but I know it was at least over 50 players. And wow. we did that in about two weeks. So the amount of employers who, who stepped in just blew my mind. I mean, the way that they wanted to help everywhere from Canada down to Florida, you had people offering assistance. And that, to me, showed the very best side of humanity in a time where everybody was incredibly stressed and they could have easily said, you know what, I got laid off. I don't want to give my money to somebody else. I need that money. It didn't matter to so many of them. They said, this is the game we love. These are the guys that put on the game we love and we want to show some support to them. Did you, um, and the work continues, right? Even if you're not maybe directly involved, like I've seen uh, the Twitter, like advocates for minor leaguers, like even if you're not directly involved, the work still continues, correct? Very much so. Yeah, I've been working with um, Garrett Brocious, who is one of the founders of the Advocates for Minor Leaguers, um, just offering some feedback on on ideas that I have that might be helpful. And the work that they're doing, um, the group called More Than Baseball, they're doing some fantastic work as well. Um, just really trying to be a voice for the minor league industry because realistically, they don't have union support. And if you don't have union support, you're really going to be in a tough spot. The Players Association at the major league level, they can cover those guys, but that protection doesn't stretch down to the minors. So having some of these organizations step up to show support, that's been a really incredible thing to watch. Do you foresee any scenarios where um, where uh, the MLBPA or these organizations in general uh, step up to to help these players? I uh, I had something of an exchange with one of the uh, the my advocates for minor league players, uh, totally you know well intentioned. Where um, you know I sort of brought up the point, you know we're uh, advocating for you know, people like us to pay to help for with minor league players in say the Yankees organization, which is the single handedly one of the most valuable uh, sports franchises in the world. And yet we can't, they can't, we can't get a livable wage for players in their farm system. So I guess I, I'd ask you from the, you know, and your knowledge of the organizations and how it all works. Do we, do we ever see a scenario where these, uh, in wealthy organizations actually step up to help these players? You know, I've always said, I believe that if a team pulled the trigger and made an improvement, I think it would be a domino effect just because teams don't want to be known as that one club that refused to budge. Mm -hmm. They want to be in the mix of saying, look, we're going to take care of our guys. If you're you know, if you're a Yankee, if you're a Blue Jay, if you're part of the athletics, we, we're going to look out for you because you wear our uniform. And I think that that mindset should stretch from top to bottom across the league. But I don't know how this could really improve until you have some type of a union, um, whether that proves as an extension off of the MLBPA. I honestly don't know, um, just because there is so much red tape to work through. There's so many different factors that play in. Um, and part of the, the issue at the minor league level is you have so many different walks of life that play at that level. You've got you know local players, you've got international players, and the contract negotiations for those levels, I think, adds another level of complication 
to orchestrating a players union um, that would have legs to stand on um, just because it's it's so tough to be able to put all those pieces together and then to do it for guys at so many different levels making so many different amounts of money it's it's extremely complicated it's very very complicated and so i think there would really have to be a set group of people that said look we want to make this happen how can we get representation for these guys how can we get you know more more of a set of legs for them to stand on because at the end of the day they have to have someone at the table they have to have somebody who's going to sit there and speak up for their rights because that just isn't covered by anybody right now and so i think if they could get a group to put their mind to it and say, let's make this work, I think it would be a possibility, but I just don't know how soon that could happen. And it just feels like Major League, the MLBPA, right? It's the Major League Baseball players. I mean, they were minor leaguers at one point also, right? It just seems that there's got to be a point where it breaks, right? Where the MLBPA is going to have to start taking care of minor leaguers from their end or do something to create a union from their end because it just seems like they've all had to go through it that that experience would somehow branch into, hey, we have to get back to taking care of the minor leaguers. It hasn't done that so far. It's ended up being on the public really to make um, the to average have casual fan. Uh, what's that? To have empathy. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, so we've been making, I mean, it was like three years ago, right? If you, you talk to the average fan, they would be like, hey, you know, minor league plays baseball player. Those guys are making way too much money, right? And that was probably the thought of most people. And I think over the last few years, just from monitoring my Twitter feed, I think more and more people get it that that's not a, they're not getting a living wage, not even all the way up to the AAA level. And they're showing up at spring training without a paycheck like they did this year, like, um, Emily was talking about, you know, they don't get paid till the season starts and they've still got to get to spring training also, right? And so they got like a happy spring training in, spent a bunch of money there just to get started and then the season never goes, right? So um, it just seems like the spotlight has to stay there somehow so something breaks. And because, I mean, it's, I mean, I don't own a major league baseball team. There's really nothing I can do for mine except she trying to scream, right? It's like, hey, yell. And I think that's, I think it's breaking through. I think what Emily's doing and uh, more than baseball or adopt a minor leaguer, uh, people are trying to save the baseball teams in the minor league. I think they're doing a great job of putting that on the forefront. And I think, as Emily said, maybe if a major league team just decided to invest, it would be a domino effect. Say the Blue Jays just go through their organization, say we're going to pay living wages all the way through the organization. We're going to extend uh, netting in all of our minor league stadiums to show that we care about our fans, things like that. Things that we know they can afford to do that if they would just do it, I think that, you know, it's a selling point. Like, hey, the Tigers did this. I didn't see anybody else in our division do this. And I think that could make it better, but it was it's going to take somebody big to make that motion right to to make that that first domino fall and i don't know how we do it if you don't have any representation at the table yeah and i think one of the the most impressive things that i saw was last year i got to um work with ken rosenthal on um letting people know that the blue jays were going to be the first organization that publicly said hey we're going to raise the pay of our minor league players and i think that was really the shift that started to kind of 
create conversation that, well, if the Blue Jays are going to do it, who else is going to do it? And then you started to hear a little bit more rumbling around the league that teams were saying we're looking into it. And not a lot of them stepped up to do it. But I think a couple of things that have done some good are guys like Sean Doolittle, who was so kind to talk to me about the piece that I wrote last year. I'm just about the state of the minor leagues. And he shared his experience and he wasn't someone who had the same financial pressure, if you will, when he started out his career, just because he had a bit more of a financial cushion um, to lean on. But something he pointed out, which I appreciated, was he goes, hey, I still had to sleep on the bus floor. I still had my <laughs> air mattress pop. I, I had a hole in, you know, this this piece of bedroom, you know, furniture or this or that. And I mean, he shared so many stories because he said, you know, at the end of the day, we're all playing in the same industry. We're all minor leaguers. We're all, you know, sharing the same life together. And another one, too, um, Adam Wainwright with the Cardinals, he's been extremely outspoken, um, made an incredible gesture um, to the Cardinals minor league players, donated $250,000 towards making sure those guys are taken care of. It's incredible. It's incredible to see how some of these guys really have stepped out and spoken up about it. And I have spoken with members of the MLBPA, and they really, they do care those guys do care, but I think it just kind of steps back to how do we approach this? How do we put all these pieces into place? Because it is so complex and it's such a touchy subject to figure out how to make it all work that they're, they're just trying to be very careful with it. So I definitely I give the MLBPA credit because they are aware and they are discussing and they are trying to come up with some sort of a structure for that but i think it's just going to take some time to see that happen do you think the upcoming cba could be an opportunity uh for you know uh, for the mlbpa to sort of extend uh some sort of some sort of uh benefits towards the minor leagues it definitely could be um i i know that they said minor league I guess minor league lifestyle is going to be discussed. Um, But the tricky thing about this is that we're also looking at 2021 being the first season without the 42 affiliates. Mm. If commissioner Manfred has his way Um, as of right now, it's looking like that is going to become a reality, which breaks my heart for so many communities across the country, because the way the way that he structured it, he said, well, you know, we're going to transition into a dream league, which is the title that he gave it. But if you have a dream league, you're still pulling affiliated baseball out of these communities. And part of the, the pull of it for so many fans, most of these guys, they can't afford to drive to a major league park. They can't afford the parking and the the ticket prices. Some of these lower income families, this is as close as they get. They want to go see a Fernando Tatis Jr. or a Bo Bichette or a Vladimir Guerrero Jr. They want to see these guys who are the next wave of players. So when those games come on TV, they can say, oh, I saw him when he was in the Midwest League or I saw him when he was in the Eastern League because I could go to that park. And now you're looking at teams getting cut all the way from double A down to rookie ball across the country. That's really hard for a lot of these fans to swallow. And I think it's just 
one of the business aspects of the game that we tend to forget about, but it's definitely putting a blow on a lot of communities. Do you think that it's something where, you know, I would think, you know, one of the sort of um, statements, if you will, of one of the sort of uh, proposed benefits, and, I, and I'm, tr- I'm treading tr- as lightly as I can with that, is that uh, by shedding the quantity of teams, the quality of, of pay for minor leaguers is supposed to go up. Do you see any, is there anyone that's actually going to, uh, let's say this is actually one of the pillars of this deal that MLB is going to go with. Do you foresee anyone actually holding them accountable to this? Is there any sort of enforcement we can, or is there any sort of like guidelines we can look for on this? I I truly hope so. I, I hope that they are held to playing out the way that they have structured it because as of right now in my belief there is enough funds to give players a raise Mm -hmm. and if you shed 42 affiliates you no longer have an excuse to not raise the players wages so if you're going to go that route you are going to have the eyes of every baseball fan across the country watching you saying okay let's pony up Let's make it happen. And I think that if they didn't make that move, I think the outcry from the fans would be so negative that they really wouldn't be left with any choice. Because at the end of the day, yes, Commissioner Manfred and the owners, he works for the owners, that's his boss, they're going to not want to lose more fans than they already have because this year has been such a blow for sports in general you don't have wiggle room to risk having worse stuff happen to your sport. You want to get it back in a good position. You want to get the fans excited. You want to be able to move forward with good momentum, but you've got to do it the right way. You've got to make sure your guys are getting taken care of. You know, I think of the climate and the differences in climate from, say, like the 90s when we had the work stoppage in 1994 uh, versus versus now, you know, where the it's such an analogy, right, you know, with uh, for the income disparity, you know what I mean, for class disparity in the country. Do you and uh, the awareness that, you know, big business is, is pushing down costs and, and that affects folks on the lower levels. Um, do you think that if um, do you think that sort of and I hate to use this word, but sort of an internet advocacy in this way, kind of like what you've been able to accomplish with, uh, you know, getting the minor leaguers help on your level? Do you think it would take a sort of public outcry at this point to to stop you know stop the uh, sort of play for the minor leaguers from being cut out of these negotiations? I I definitely think it would help. Um, I think that it would be um, beneficial, but I don't necessarily know if it would be enough. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that the people up top, um, the quote-unquote powers that be, um, I think that they would need to make a decision for the well-being of the players involved um, for that to happen. Because, I mean, unless fans decided to boycott which they i don't believe they would right. um, just because they love the sport too much and they don't want to miss it it's really going to come from a decision at the top and i think that there was a very realistic threat of a possible strike in 2021 mm-hmm. but because of everything this year you can't risk missing 
a full season or a season and a half of baseball and expect the game to be as healthy as it was before. Um, So I think that's going to factor into it a lot, too, where both parties involved are going to say, look, we've already taken a massive hit thanks to COVID-19. How do we move ahead and try to preserve this game, try to preserve our fan base and try to come out looking like we are going to take care of these guys by making the best decision? Yeah, that's what it's, it seems like. To, uh, there'd be a chance that, oh, hey, you know what? We're not gonna we're not gonna cut these forty two teams. Baseball doesn't need that next year when we come back and and everything else. We're gonna business as usual. Let's get you know the fans back into the game. But in essence, it almost feels like it's going the other direction. Like instead of having that, it's like, hey, this seems like a really good time. Well everything's going on let's let's see how about we do get rid of those 42 teams because i mean it doesn't look like there was a big drive but it looked like there was a little bit of a drive that we saw on social media to get ready for this upcoming season for those 42 teams that there were people that were going to be traveling around the country doing basically almost protest style work right saying hey keep these for the community and this is the reasons why now those don't happen right now they just brush off to the side and i think they're losing those 42 teams seems easier now than if we would actually been able to play some baseball this year um is there any chance that we keep those 42 teams emily do you feel like it's it's over do you feel like it's it's pretty much a done deal you know it's that's a question i've been getting a lot from people lately um as much as i wish i could say I think it's not going to happen. I I don't like the odds. Um, I think, like you said, the fact that we still haven't played, they don't really have a case to stand on, these teams. They don't, you know, have stuff to show for this season. And, you know, for the fans to come out and show support, they don't have that. And it's it's really a perfect storm. It, it's a perfect storm because you don't have the ability to defend your your affiliates the way that you would normally be able to and I think it's really kind of turned in favor of the commissioner um, with the way that this has all played out because he has his case and I I would love to stay glass half full on it but (laughs) um, I I don't I don't know if it's going to turn in the the direction that we would like to see it go yeah because yeah for for me just uh, at social media wise I was hoping to be able to shine some light on uh, the Pioneer League, right? That's where I grew up, Montana, um, and the Pioneer League was what was inside of me. And they're, every team in that league, if I'm not mistaken, is, is set to be cut, and then none of them are being relocated. They're all part of the dream package. And so I felt it would be easier, like, okay, well, if the Billings Mustangs or the Great Falls Voyagers were playing, I could be able to retweet from their account and do something to help be like, hey, let's, let's shine a light on this show, you know, fans families that are having fun because you know for where i grew up if you lose the pioneer league you gotta drive oh 700 miles just to get to spokane to catch a game heck we could barely drive the 100 miles as it was and, and afford to catch a minor league game before now you gotta go the extra distance if you're a family and especially coming out of covid19 who knows what the economy is gonna look like so it's it seems just a nightmarish for somebody where i grew up to, to have 42 teams hacked, especially the eight teams in Pioneer League Baseball. And it seems like now with no baseball being played, trying to advocate for those guys seems impossible. I mean, it's 
it's just it's a it's overbearing i i see the work that people are doing especially you who care so deeply not just about the the sport and the people that you work with but the players as people right and and you try so hard and it still gets to this point where it's like we might be losing 42 teams we still don't have guaranteed pay for these guys at the lower levels and everything else no matter how hard we try and it's just frustrating that without league right without any leagues this year playing at the lower level that we can't we can't get out and protest for those people either so i guess there's no question there it's just frustration i guess from my part <laughs> so uh, i just I'll, want some sympathy i guess yeah <laughs> i i would say you know that i do have one one final question for you and um before we let you go uh kind of piggybacking off what jim said and what we were talking about a little bit earlier um do you do you think that um, when all of this is said and done, do you feel as though the minor leagues will ultimately come out stronger from this? Is there a is there a path to strength through all of this after the CBA in the in the sort of in the future, or you know is this sort of overall a blow to the structure of it? I think that I've probably seen more negative than positive, but I, I do feel like there is always a positive to come out of something. Um, mm-hmm. That's just kind of the way that I'm wired. Um, and I think that through this whole structure, there are a lot of lessons that can be learned um, by the people in charge and, and the way that they've been running the minors up until this point, I think that if they keep the right perspective with it, that you can learn from this and you can apply it to make it more of a positive in the future, um, looking for, you know, ways to improve the structure of the industry or the structure of these affiliates and the, the agreements that, you know, minor league baseball has with major league baseball and getting that to a good place. There's always silver linings to it. Um, but I think it's just been an extremely tough year um, so far, not only for baseball, but for sports in general. Um, so many people getting laid off, so many people losing their jobs. And it's just, it's been tough. It's been tough for a lot of people to swallow. So my, my hope is that they cannot lose the focus of keeping the fans' interest um, as part of the conversation. Baseball is and always will be a business. And it's going to be run as a business, but my hope and prayer for it is that they remember how valuable the fan opinion is for this game, because ultimately it's the fans who are driving the revenue, they're driving the popularity, they're driving the support of the game, and you want to keep them in your corner if you want this game to continue to grow. Awesome. Well, yeah. uh, words uh, words that I hope bear fruit in the future. And, and you know, as a, a guy who grew up on the Wilmington Blue Rocks, I can appreciate that. And uh, Jim, I know you have great affection for the minor leagues too. Yeah, just being able to go to yeah, those Great Falls Dodgers when I was a kid and seeing people like uh, you know, we had. I believe Ramon Martinez, Pedro Martinez came through there, Eric Arrows, Jose Offerman when I was a kid. Being able to to watch them play, I actually played on the same field that those guys played on. It was, it's, it, I mean, I'm 42, almost 43, and those memories have stuck with me. Those things are still there. Those memories won't be there for somebody else in just a couple short seasons here because it's it, it won't exist. It'll turn into something else. It won't be the same way that you know, I got to grow up with it. And it just, it pains me. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I appreciate your fight, Emily. Um, your passion, the, your ability to use your, your 
you're standing because you're great at what you do for your job, but your actual heart for the people that are around you, it, it shows on your Twitter account. It shows how much um, it isn't about just, you know, for a lot of us being fans and loving a sport, right? It's more than that to you. It's more than just a job to you. There's people that are that are out there just seeing how you talk about like Chase Numata and, and helping all these players find jobs and talking about minor league uh reduction and everything else it's it, everything about it shows that you actually care about the people keep doing that because i think as long as we as long as people are doing that i think you, you get a little more awareness it helps and i think in the end we might get there it's a long road but i think uh with people like emily and, and more than baseball doing what they're doing we're, we're heading down the right way that maybe a decade from now we can look back and and see how how things look and maybe it'll be a lot better so appreciate everything you do emily appreciate it thank you so much for joining us emily um we appreciate your time and um if they can anything that we should be uh, keeping our eye out for in the future um i'm working on a project for pitching ninja right now which i'm excited about um he asked me to jump on board and help him with the piece um so i'll have that hopefully out next week and then a few pieces coming up for the athletic hopefully here soon as well so just trying to stay busy, much like everybody else, and hoping baseball is back sooner rather than later. Awesome. Well, Emily, thank you so much for your time. Uh, we appreciate it. And, uh, you know, I'll just echo what Jim said. Just continue your, your good work, and uh, we, uh, we hope to get to talk to you again, hopefully on, on happier pretenses. <laughs> oh, I appreciate that. Thanks again for having me, guys. Thanks. Yeah, appreciate thanks for having me. Appreciate it.